Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers, and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combined trad values and an indie spirit. Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, and may we both wish you a very, very happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, people. My name is Adrian Hobart. My name is Rebecca Collins. And together we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following four genres. Thrillers. Mysteries. Suspense. And crime. And uh, it's a real pleasure to speak to you on this Christmas edition of the Hobcast Book Show. And it's Christmas Eve as we speak. It is, it is. And we are surrounded by, well, we've got the tree which you brought in, which is a mega tree. Not the tallest, but it's it's broad, isn't it? Well, it's actually, it was just nudging six foot. So I paid for the four foot to six foot tree, but it is actually just nudging six foot, I think. Right. It's quite broad, yeah. Yeah, it, it's beautiful. And uh, it's thronged with presents, none of which are from me yet, because I'm about to do my wrapping. Yes, you're, you're, you're a bloke. I am a bloke. I loathe wrapping. It is short of having teeth extracted without anaesthetic. It's up there. Well, it's in that sort of category for me. But um, Well, we can have that arranged if you like. <laughs> Yeah, it might be preferable. Uh, the fact is, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the world's most Christmassy person, which is a bit of a problem because a, you are a very Christmassy person, and it is your birthday on Christmas Day. Yeah, I mean, I think I just had to be a Christmassy person because, as a child, obviously it was like the most exciting day of my year. Um, so I've always been a big fan of Christmas. I love Christmas Eve more than Christmas Day, actually, in many ways, because of the feeling of anticipation and the excitement and the food prep, and it, it just. I love that. I love that sort of, you know, the atmosphere's got that edge of mm. what's to come. Whereas on Christmas Day, I get a bit overwhelmed. And usually by about three o'clock, I just, I need to find a darkened room, even though it hasn't finished yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. You also, the, the, the corollary to that is once Christmas Day is done and it's Boxing Day, you're always really depressed. I you? hate it. Yeah, I really do. I hate it. And I... I think I get quite exhausted as well because I'm, I don't sleep much in the run-up to Christmas, partly because I get up early to go shopping and pick up turkeys and things like that, but I also don't sleep very well because of the excitement. So once Christmas is over, I tend to get very dozy. Yeah, yeah no, well, I think a lot of people do, to be perfectly honest. Anyway, uh, I'm sure um, as you're listening to this, you might be preparing the turkey or whatever. But anyway, we would like to thank you very much for uh, joining us for this Christmas special and it is special and it's part of one of two specials we've got one for New Year as well this week we are talking to three Hobeck authors who intertwine their wonderful work with humour they do they know how to have a laugh as well as to kill people 
Yeah. In the fictional sense, of course. Well, yes, of course. And there's nothing funnier than killing people, is it? I mean, you know, let's be honest. Ha ha. Uh, no, it, <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a, it's a delicate balance, isn't it? Striking, um, trying to find the, the, the humour in the darkness. And I think that uh, I think the three authors we're about to speak to do it brilliantly. They do, yes. And, and also, as we talk about in the panel, it's that sort of, it's that British way of coping we've always I mean I'm sure other cultures do it too but I think we are particularly known for it using humour to cope with the dark side absolutely right well let's get to our author panel then we have drawn together the wonderful talents of Jenny Ensor of Alison Morgan and Sue Shepherd. that's right <laughs> and uh, the three three wonderful authors from the Hoback stable and uh, well we'll introduce what they've done and who they are in this brilliant interview for this Christmas special. Rebecca. Yes. I think it ought to be said that this is your idea. Yes. Gathering together <laughs> the expertise of several Hobeck authors on certain themes. Now, we're doing this for Christmas, but death is not very Christmassy. You say that, but lots of people die at Christmas, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's statistically true. <laughs> well, okay. Let's just put it this way. Is it a funny subject? Death. Um, now, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because well, that's one we're going to ask now. Yeah, to our panel. On the surface, no. But actually, is that true? OK, well, let's introduce <laughs> our, uh, our wonderful panel of Hobeck authors. And we will start. We'll do it in, um, I guess, you know, clockwise. Yes, as we see you. As we see you. Nobody else can see you, but we see you. <laughs> so I'm I'm delighted to uh, to bring in. Ali Morgan from Bedfordshire, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Lovely to see you two again. And, uh, well, a slightly early happy Christmas, but anyway, happy Christmas. Well, thanks very much. Yes. And then, uh, if we're doing quite wise, we're now joined by Jenny Ensor. And are you in North London today? I am, yes. I'm in North London. And the Isle of Wight. And... Oh, the Isle of Wight's the bottom corner. Yeah. Sue Shepherd. Thank you so much. Hello. And happy Christmas to you all. Merry Christmas to you. Yes, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. <laughs> it's my birthday. And happy birthday. <laughs> this will be the fifteenth mention of you on your birthday all year. You've been talking about Christmas Day being your birthday. I know. I do milk it for all its worth, don't I? You do. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll park that. But let's let's delve into the darkness. Well, this is the this is the conundrum, isn't it? I mean, why does crime writing murder mysteries police procedure all that sort of thing private investigator stories uh lend itself to humor ali i'll I'll start with you because you know you've worked in the front line of in public health and dealt with situations where where death yeah exactly yes and um what is isn't it don't you find it odd that something that is so difficult to talk about most of the time seems to lend itself to humor well you see i have a very warped sense of humor anyway so spending three decades in the nhs you develop uh the gallows humor it gets you through but also i've had the most hilarious um incidents involving death i probably shouldn't say that i shouldn't say that really but i have uh, and Donkeys years ago, I'll share this little story with you. Donkeys years ago, I used to work at a little cottage hospital. It was fantastic, superb care, care of the elderly, 
And on one unfortunate early shift, we discovered that a gentleman had passed away in the night. Now, he'd only been with us a couple of days because he'd only come in for respite. Um, and myself and another nursing assistant were asked to set about preparing the body. Um, there'd been contact made. The hearse had arrived outside to collect. But when the lovely undertaker people came in, they tried to take the wrong person yes there was another poor chap asleep in his bed in the corner he didn't look very well I'll give them that but he you know he was alive we had to sort of redirect them well, I got the giggles really badly really badly oh you would and, and How I, had you to, not? I had to rush out and go into that into the nursing office just to gather my gather myself and be more appropriate but I, I couldn't help it I just was laughing myself I won't tell you the rest of the story which gets even more bizarre uh, but that's just one little incident so crime writing and death you see probably brings out the worst in me as far as inappropriate humor is concerned um, but I think death is fascinating we're all fascinated aren't we it's a puzzle how did they die who killed them um and human beings love we love a puzzle we like to you know try and work stuff out and death's the big one isn't it especially if it's like at slightly dodgy circumstances that's even better that's yeah, just my I, so. I mean you know it, it you know all humor is sort of um is pain plus time isn't it you know you know you build it up and and we all wince and and, and laugh mm. because it's that release of tension, I suppose. But you know, you you explain very um, aptly there gallows humour. But Jenny, mm. I mean, do you have a sense of gallows humour? You know, from your life, does well, that? Well, I think so. In a sense, I because I've had a difficult childhood, and me and my brother, we are in this very dysfunctional family, and we would laugh. I think with each other to try to it would be a natural reaction to cope with the difficulties of a situation so um and I think that's always continued with me and I've always found it I know I've been sort of friends of people who also laugh in um, very dark times and who had who have that reaction and for me it's reading or writing and reading something of humour in the humour can can be a way to sort of go no because death is people is a taboo in a sense and there's that sense of also the um it's like feeling people feel uncomfortable sometimes or they're embarrassed don't know what to know that you can say the wrong thing to someone or you're at a funeral and you're you don't say the right thing so it just seems that the, the comedy and the humour can it can just be an essential part <laughs> like it's just a the counter like the counterpoint to this very serious side and for me I just love humor to bring out all sorts of other things and to go I can't really explain but I just enjoy that when you have something really serious as what and the humor can allow you to go into a deeper darker place somehow without bringing down the whole mood you're keeping this really sort of upbeat mood but you also it allows you to bring in all sorts of other layers which are more disturbing mm. I think that's a really interesting point actually because you're saying humor allows you to go deeper than you would if you didn't use humor and I think that's that's actually very interesting isn't it absolutely does that ring true for you Sue well I've just been listening and I'm just thinking for me it's slightly different because I set out to write about people what I like is um 
people who have secrets, people who have stuff in their past that they don't want other people to know. So it's, I, it's not always about death for me. It can be lots of other secrets, um, but, you know, which which all come under the umbrella of crime kind of thing. But I think just because for me, I like to look at people and what their secrets are. And people are generally quite funny. We, we are funny people. And I, I am quite a funny person, I think. And so when I write about people, they do tend to have funny personalities. So although I'm crime, I don't know. I don't really think of me as death. I find it really hard to write gruesome deaths. I like nice deaths. <laughs> if I can write about a nice, nicer death, then I will do. So, um, yeah, that's just for me. It's just about people. I just like to look at people. And usually people are quite funny. Couldn't write a serious book about people, I don't think. Right. No, I can't imagine. Question. No, I can't imagine. <laughs> it's yeah. about the quirkiness, isn't it? The quirkiness. Well, yeah. it's funny. Yeah, that's almost a segue into talking to Ali. I mean, you know, yeah. the quirks. But, but you have some. <laughs> actually, you and Jenny uh, have this. You've had some pretty brutal deaths in your books. <laughs> let's be honest. Um, it, you know, there, there's some there's some darkness going on there. Oh, I love a good death. Um, <laughs> Actually, when I when I first started writing, which was sort of out of necessity to stop me going totally insane, um, I couldn't I couldn't do the death thing um, because I was still a registered nurse at that point, and it felt it felt wrong, wholly wrong. But once I started, oh, I got very carried away, and I, you know I spend a lot of my time if we're out and about anywhere, I go, oh look, that'd be a good place to hide a body, and you just get into a certain mindset of <laughs> of crime and death and what would you do if and I think that's the question what you know it I, like Sue said she's fascinated with people I'm totally fascinated with people what on earth would drive somebody to kill somebody else I mean it's yeah. the most extreme thing ever although I do like a bizarre accident that's always a good one <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is flowing. Um, but so it's about it is about the people and understanding what what in really simple terms, what was the motive? What are the means? Did that person have the opportunity? What drives that individual to do that dreadful thing? And because I've got that sick sense of humor attached to it, I like it to be slightly twisted and slightly quirky. So not a straightforward, you know got angry and you know stabbed or shot someone it, what I write is never that straightforward or simple at all um so I, I, I don't, um, yeah uh, quirky is the word and quirky is how I write and I write like I am I try I've tried really hard <laughs> uh, on occasion to, to be a serious I'm going to be a serious writer I'm going to write something very literary and I can't um, you can't, if you can't say the word literary. literary. <laughs> um, I can't, because I can't take myself seriously enough to do it. So it always comes out with a bit of a laugh and a joke. And we were talking slightly off air about good swear words and what's appropriate to put in. Because um, I don't write gory, bloodthirsty stuff at, at all. So... Um, but I do like to have fun with words around the subject, if you know what I mean. And I do love a good swear word, but I don't like, I don't use like straightforward swearing to emphasise things. It's always a little bit odd. 
Yeah, your characters do tend to have um, quite British ways of swearing. And they do. They really do. Yeah, like, like my parents' generation would. Yes. You know, yes. Not use the actual word necessarily, but use a word yeah. that you know means the actual word. Yes. Yeah. And 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 strange and just mixes up or invents their very own idioms almost. Mm. So uh, that's what that's what drives me. So it's not about the death thing or the murder scene necessarily. It's all the, the whole story around it. Yes, but I mean, isn't it interesting? I mean, Jenny, you, you, with the bad neighbour, you, you, you've set your uh, latest book in a in a very familiar. A British context of a, of a you know a, a well-to-do village and and you know the, the world of cake sales and, and such. Waitrose so, and... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and it seems to be a very, I mean, almost a very British phenomenon, doesn't it? I mean, writing murder mysteries within that context and uh, playing with the familiar and actually finding humour in that um, is. What do you think it is that we as British culture? Uh, people um why do we why do we i mean I, I don't see it in other countries doing this sort of thing uh maybe i'm wrong in that is, but... is it a kind of taking the mickey out of yourself yeah i you think maybe. I, I, well, well i've got no idea but i i enjoy the for me I, I just the idea i've never written the bad neighbor is sort of plays around of all sorts of things and it's always an experiment for me something quite new at all, it's the humour again. It's it's in those details, and it's when you when you discuss. And I've got a scene where, for example, so the the bad neighbour goes into Waitrose, and she's she feels humiliated by what's gone on, and she, you know, the neighbours around and the people have been sort of giving her the brush off, and she's terrified, and she goes into Waitrose, and then she meets this, she, she gets ignored by this woman, and then she's. The whole she feels the whole of a supermarket is against her, and she's <laughs> piling up all her her bottles of wine and her <laughs> provisions for the next two months. She's not she's not going to go outside after this, but it's like oh, somehow it's all the detail and all the everydayness and the seemingly trivial things that add up to this create this picture, and it's a then uh, it provides this contrast to the the deadly serious things which happen later but, or the actual even in even the death I've I tried to make it I didn't try it, but it happened it came out very surreal and uh, like um with with Alison uh, sort of a slightly quirky strange um that just seemed to fit really well with that with, with the rest of the story um mm. but, yeah we we're, <clears throat> we're as Brits, where supposedly like we're obsessed with the weather, and there's and there's the small comforting things of daily life, and maybe it's something to do with that. I, I think I, if you if you can identify with a character, whether I'm reading or writing character, if they're doing everyday things that I do, um, like eating a bacon butty or whatever, you know, just normal things, going into cafes and things, you can identify with them, and then when unusual things happen to them it makes it more real for you because you think well that could happen to me then because all the normal things happen to me so this is why when I'm writing a lot of the time the things they're doing seem oh yeah that could happen to anyone kind of thing then you like to just slip something in that's a bit like oh 
that was a bit more unusual. That doesn't happen to everybody kind of thing. Just to pick up on what you're saying, Jenny. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting, think... you know, setting up that audriness. <laughs> but, you know, for, I mean, for for American readers of British crime fiction, you know, <laughs> they love a cosy. I mean, it, it it's not familiar to them. It's, it's kind of like they love that. It's familiar and it's not familiar because they don't know it. Mm. But they love the the sense of you know the mores the the class structure uh the trope of the vicar being you know central to life in the i was just going to that just uh, yeah made me think of something but there there is like in uh, i know in some cozy mysteries particularly america they've got this thing about they do have a thing about chocolate not chocolate but baking and cookies and all that sort of stuff it and <laughs> so I don't know how that affected me but for some reason I, I I've had chocolate brownies is a key thing in the bad neighbor because <laughs> I, I, I was reading um yeah there was a, a book like it was um it wasn't it wasn't a comedy or anything. it was um it's like a women, women's fiction type book and it had every other chapter was you know, there were bits about cho- baking chocolate and recipes and it just seems to be a thing, this involving this other aspect of you know, this cookery aspect. So. Yeah. Um, what Does that resonate with you, Ali, that, you know, setting up <laughs> a, a sort of mundane... Like sausage factory. You know, a, kind of a mundane um, settings and things happening yeah. within normal life as opposed to, you know, the Orient Express or... Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the quirk files I set in a fictional town or just uh, just a name popped into my head and off I went um <clears throat> at, but it is very British and I've got a very pompous and wonderful solicitor chappy who's got magnificent big ears now I, what yeah. we're talking about at the moment is how you know what do we key into stuff that we all do or you know that we so we notice things like that about people don't we so mm-hmm. uh, you know that became a bit of um he, he's a butt of Pedder, the main character's jokes half the time, bless him. Um, but I also have Connie Quirk, the uh, effervescent little wife of Pedder, who's a bundle of energy. Um, she cannot seem to keep any of her house plants alive. She's a real, she's a like an inveterate plant killer, basically. <laughs> but that's she's a murderer. Yeah, she's a yeah, she's a plant murderer. Um, it's probably a word for that. But um these are everyday things that happen to everyday people and but if you put everyday people into unusual situations or the story takes them to be confronted by something rather unusual so in the first of the quote files over her dead body I became completely fascinated by funeral directors and funeral services and how do people you know how our bodies kept cold, etc. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, at that time, my daughter worked for a local funeral so funeral director. She was um, a funeral arranger, so she knew all the inside info. I wanted to understand the paperwork. What happens when someone, you know, collects a body? Do you have to pr- provide evidence? And I came across all this amazing, um, the history of. <laughs> funeral directing or undertakers if you like I, I went down this ruddy great rabbit hole I nearly said yeah um grave <laughs> I've read your book Alison and it's fantastic and all the detail about death and, and the un, the undertaker stuff and what it, it makes it so vivid and you can as a reader you're right there 
and how that works. No, it, it was worth it was worth all the research, but I be, I became completely fascinated by it all. And there's some really interesting stuff about coroners, what their powers are, and all sorts of stuff. Um, so I think there's more there's, there's more potential there for a bit more funeral director type stuff. Um, but I've gone off topic again, haven't I? No, no not at all. I mean, sorry. I was say, you've actually got an idea for a series, haven't you? Set. Yes, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm but I'm setting mine in in slightly different and. It's going to be fairly gritty, I think. Eighteen sixties Manchester. Oh, that's but, good. Go historical, yeah. Yeah, but the 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 you know you talk on the about the Undertaker. I mean, the the whole Victorian funeral rites are so alien <laughs> to us, and, and some of it is still there. You know, the the big East End. Or the way they put um, dead people for photos. Uh, yeah, yes. so the family would take a photo with with the dead person, and and that would be you know a standard practice in Victorian times, or indeed you know this whole um, industry of mutes who would walk in front of the cortege, um, and yeah. yet they were some of the gas you know chattiest people <laughs> outside of the job of being silent. In front. You would be because you bottled it all up. <laughs> yeah, um, all sorts of things. Uh, you know, there's there's amazing stories uh, to be to be gained there, but. Um, yeah, we are getting a little off topic, I suppose. But I, I, one, one of the questions I wanted to ask was, are there lines you as writers would not cross in terms of humour and death? Because, I mean, one of the things that we've talked about in this po- podcast over the year, cut the three years we've made it, is, for instance, there's a low, very low tolerance, in fact, uh, probably a, a really strong intolerance of... Uh, deaths involving animals. Oh, cats, yeah. Cats, dogs, dogs, domestic animals getting bumped off is just not allowed, really. It, it upsets people much more than the humans getting, getting the <laughs> yeah, chop. You can do all sorts of things to a person, but upset a kitty cat. So, <laughs> I mean, Sue, I mean, are there any lines that you wouldn't cross? Um, well, I, well, I did I did have a, a, a dog napping, a kidnap of a dog, um, but oh, I made yeah. sure that uh, that no, no harm came. Um, but um, for me, like I say, the only things I feel I don't really want to cross is if it's all a bit too graphic. So I couldn't write someone being tortured or something. Um, I know people do, obviously. Lewis um, Hastings, if you're listening. Yeah, see, and, 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 you know, they probably do that very well. But for me, I would find that. I couldn't I couldn't do that or describing too much actual physical what was done to people this mm. is why I say I like a night people tend to just hit their heads and and things like that for me I've noticed they hit their heads a lot because it's nice <laughs> <Yeah>. and quick <laughs> they don't have to suffer so yeah I couldn't have someone sort of a, a horrible gruesome death um, but I appreciate there is a place for it in crime fiction but it's never been something I could write about um but yeah i just i think for me that's it really uh, right but jenny you have i mean you know not in the context of humor but with silenced i mean there's some pretty graphic murders in that yeah, starts so off I, I, I surprised myself with that i started <laughs> off with like a girl being murdered with a zombie knife after yeah reading a lot about a lot of murders around in north london actually with knives and uh, but i did try actually to even even though just talking about it sounds pretty horrible, but I did try not to go too much into anything too graphic. And I also have a, a scene where uh, 
where where I guess it, it doesn't it, it sort of like approaches torture but it, I don't go I don't I, I stop as soon as I can and I certainly I think as time goes on I'm less um, able or wanting to go into anything too graphic I think with a bad neighbor I sort of switched to, to a mode where it's it's no there might be some bizarre things and some violence but it doesn't dwell on the actual physical harm because I, I don't particularly want to go there without it's strange but with in silence I had a I thought yeah I know about this there's this great um distaste where people really hate animals being hurt so I did but I did have a fox I, I had a fox something something part part of a fox came through the door so I bet it was like, I thought, oh, what animal can I, I, I couldn't, I just felt it had to, there had to be something quite threatening, but I wouldn't, I think in future, I would, I hate spiders myself, but I can't bear to kill them. And, <laughs> uh, and even flies, I tried to just put them out harmlessly. So I, I guess I could have that the only animal thing I could, would want want to kill or make possibly a bird but I, I even then <laughs> I yeah. think in fiction I could probably yeah get something that I d- didn't particularly like I can I'd kill off easily <laughs> yeah how about you Ali any any lines you won't cross yeah um, people may notice I, I write all my characters are adults and nothing bad ever happens to a child I just couldn't possibly write it. I don't animals. I, I I've avoided the bumping off of any animals. I did do a dog napping um, once, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, kid, I don't write anything about chil- children coming to harm because I can't I, I can't bear to think about it. So I don't write it, and it would put me. You know, it, I avoid reading books that involve like kidnapping or torture of children or abuse, and I, because I it sort of hurts I don't I want to escape um and you know have my imagination fired but I don't I don't want to hear about kids so I don't write it that's I just don't that's a personal thing I know people do but I just don't that's it Mm. that's the bottom line for me well I I, one of the things that Rebecca and I were thinking about as we were approaching this you know this opportunity was the the thought about how society has changed dramatically in the last five years and so there seems to be you know a shutting down of things that you can talk about or at least write about or write about yeah Yeah. but I think you know comedians are really finding this they're at the vanguard of this in in the sense that there are certain subjects they cannot touch on now um, without risk of cancellation and the list of those subjects goes up and up it seems Um, so is there any sense in which when you're writing any of you where you feel you're having to self-censor because it may be straying into areas which are too sensitive currently? Should we start with Sue? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I have found myself thinking more lately. Oh, you know, you're writing something and you suddenly, you can just picture everyone on what's it called now? X. Um, saying, oh, my God, we're all going to cancel Sue Shepherd because she said this in her book, you know, and it does cross your mind. Whereas when I wrote my first book um, in 2015, I mean, I had a, a horrible character in that who was really a nasty bloke. He said things that, you know, that I would never say. He was a horrible bloke. He was racist. He was misogynistic. It was everything. 
And he said some lines that, when I think about it now, I think, oh my God, it's probably just as well that's like an old book. Because I wouldn't write, I wouldn't have people say that now, just in case anyone thought that was my opinion, you know, because when you're writing dialogue, you can say, people can say things that you wouldn't say. Vincent, for example, said a lot of things that I wouldn't say, but I loved saying them through him. Um, but yeah, I have noticed that I've thought occasionally, oh, and I've even taken lines out because I've thought, oh, I don't know, that might offend someone. And it's funny because we didn't, I don't, as, as you say, it's fairly recent. I didn't think that back in 2015. Maybe I was just very, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe I was just very naive. And <laughs> I just thought, well, they'll know it's not my opinion. But now you you do slightly stop and think, is that going to offend someone? And then is that going to all blow up on social media and no one's going to buy the book, you know? So, yeah, it's it does cross my mind. That you say, they're going to, are they going to think that's my opinion? Because I think they shouldn't think it, uh, they shouldn't think it's your opinion if it's coming out of the mouth of a character. But well, no, exactly, exactly. And you would think logic would tell you that they wouldn't think that, but some it seems to be some readers actually do. Yeah, maybe just yeah. yeah. The fact that you very fact that you're prepared to even commit anything to print, whether it's you know through the avatar of a character, is you know people just don't see that. Um, as being defensible anymore i mean they, you know that's that but that that's really sad isn't it i mean you know to, to be in a position where we're second guessing what a pressure group is going to do because you've mentioned x or y well, because a character has said x or y yeah i mean yeah. these people exist and you know you can't start rem- yeah, you know. I, I feel i would i still try to not censor myself and me i wouldn't sometimes i'm the main thing is for me um considering sometimes there's a i'm describing or my book is inspired by it something which to an extent has, has happened elements of it are true to an extent so i'm sometimes kept very careful about not not telling too much that might indicate might point to someone's real life so that's what i've tried not to do mm. So me, that's more of a concern than writing something that people are going to be offended or shocked by. I I sort of feel I'm a bit of a rebel, so I I I, I don't mind if some people are shocked or offended. Mm. But then again, you know, sometimes with um, there's all you know all sorts of examples where the author might go too far or there's unintended consequences. You 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 might write something and you. For example, I'm quite interested in politics, and I, I, so I find on Twitter, I, I, for eight since the situation now in um, in Gaza, I've been really occasionally I put my opinion, but a lot of the time I think, well, this might not actually. Does anyone really want to hear this? And it might cause. No, I don't really want to be in the middle of some argument about you know, different sides of politics. Which, yeah, which, you know, Ali, do you feel? You know, the tension tension hemmed in in any way no i let my characters do the talking um the if if we're going to be restrained um because we're worried about offending someone we can't be true to our characters because when we write real people i know they're fictional so they can't be real but you're trying to be as authentic as you can and out there in the big wide world there are lots of people who are very offensive um 
And there are lots of ways that you can offend people by just like breathing in the wrong way. Um, so I try not to be, but I have had to be quite careful with Pedder because he is politically incorrect at times. Um, and if, in fact, it was Rebecca, you went, I think you might have to tweak this a bit because we don't want people to dislike Pedder for reacting in that way. It was a reaction to a couple of transsexuals. Mm, um, and sometimes I will pull um, from real life. I live with the Bearded Wonder. Now, the Bearded <laughs> Wonder, the Bearded Wonder isn't politically correct at all. In fact, he's a bit time warpish. He's still lives somewhere in the 1970s where yeah, inappropriate, what is now inappropriate wasn't considered inappropriate then. So if you think of the um, some of the TV programmes that were on. Love thy neighbour, mind your language. Exactly. Ain't half hot, mum. Your language was hilarious. But anyway, um, yeah, so he's a bit like that. So sometimes I will sort of, what one comment that he may have made, I have a little notebook and I write things down. And uh, it made me chuckle. But actually, Rebecca pulled it up and went, I don't think you should take it that far. Just rein it in a bit. So I, I shifted it a bit. And that was a valid point because... Now, I was risking him becoming unlikable. And he's a lovely, likable character. And he does sometimes say inappropriate things. But, you know, I could have got away with that maybe 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. But not now. Yeah. No. Well, and, and I didn't like having to say that either because I... You know, no. sometimes we do say things to authors and I think I don't want to have to say this because it's not yeah. necessarily what I want to be saying, but we've got to think about them. <laughs> the yeah. <readers. laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, but it's, it's it's sad that that has happened. Interesting yeah. that this is a field, you know, humour in crime has become uh, a magnet for act people recognised for their comedy in recent years so i mean the obvious um example i mean richard osman is the the king of cozy at the moment uh, without question in terms of sales and he's not necessarily known for being a humorist but has a no. certain way and then you've got the likes of uh you know david Badil. um also i mean in fact you know pretty much every comedian it seems has been commissioned to yeah, do some children's books, some brand. adults, some courses. yeah, and 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 yeah. it feels like I mean, the, is it is do you think it's them reasserting their right to make people laugh in a field mm -hmm. where the likes of well, you guys as writers have been working in that field of making people laugh and intrigued by murders and and mysteries and things like that do you think it's them sort of moving back in, into the territory they see as theirs or is it something else it, well maybe it's flattery like? well i don't know i mean uh, <laughs> do you feel that's jenny that you know these guys are muscling in on the I territory I, i'm not the right person to ask but it could be that there's um there seems to be a huge yeah as you say there's a trend now and it's a and it's become so popular some of, some of this cozy crime and uh, maybe they've it's just because it's of its popularity and it's been in the media and, and they've just had it they just thought oh well I, I can I can do this really well I don't know 
Yeah, you can see I why I published. I, yeah, I haven't read. Oh, I've started to read um, the first Richard Osman book. I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> but, uh, well, you, you know, you're not alone. Yeah, I started um, it two but, years ago. Uh, now, uh, I haven't okay. finished it. There's a lot of people who who say that about Richard, and <laughs> um, that you know, no one's going to knock his success. It's just extraordinary. The million, I mean, the third best-selling hardback of all time, um, which is terrifying really so do you do you feel you know well that's very telling actually because i started listening i started listening to richard osmond's first book um and i remember listening to it while i was cleaning i don't like cleaning i don't do it very often but this is probably why it's stuck in my mind because it's a rare (laughs) occurrence and um i kept getting confused with who was who and had to keep going back and listening to it again and i couldn't there wasn't enough for me there wasn't enough differential between the characters and I kept getting a bit lost and in the end I gave up and I thought oh million pound advance or whatever it was I can't even differentiate between your characters so I'm I'm not that keen on it but you know obviously a lot of people are um I have read a couple of Graham Norton's books which I actually quite liked but that was more because his cozy crime was set in Ireland it's all very um you know, it's to to the to the area. It's just I love the way he writes. It's very cozy, um, and but he does have crime as well. So I would say that he has definitely nailed it for me. But it does seem like they've almost kind of gone. Well, I'm funny. That's an easy kind of genre to write in. I'll write one of those, and they'll automatically be known by lots of people because everyone knows who they are already. So it's it's tricky because it, you do feel a little bit like oh. What about our books? You know, we've all written quite a cosy crime as well. You just haven't seen us on your telly. <laughs> no, true. Ali, you were nodding. As soon yes, as I'm nodding because I, I uh, puts my back up slightly because it's a marketing department's dream, isn't it? Oh, we've got this famous comedian or this famous person. Well, we're going we're gonna to help them write a book. Now, I'm a little bit cynical about it. I suspect that not all of them will have written the books that their name has been put to. That's my suspicion. That's a personal concern that I have. Um, so I do soon, think Graham uh, Norton wrote his because you can uh, hear his his voice in his definitely. He's, he's a very eloquent individual. Yeah, you're, you're yes. probably right, Sue. But I, there've just been so many. You just think, oh, not another one, and uh, it, it just makes you cynical. And you're, you know, what you said. You just think, well, actually, we've written some really good books, but just because we're not famous and we don't have a massive marketing budget behind us, um, it's a, you know it's a bit of an unfair game, really. But on the other hand, for the people who have read our books, Sue, Jenny, um, they have a lovely and entertaining time, don't they? So you know, we should knock it. We're good we hope too. so. <laughs> well, we're, we're we're talking at a time when Sir Michael Caine has just released his first crime novel, so and you're not allowed to buy it because it's Christmas. Soon. Okay, all right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been telling him not to go shopping at all. He's not allowed. Well, that's fine because <laughs> I'm broke at the moment, so that, you know there ain't no shopping happening. But the, the 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 final thing I wanted to ask was in terms of the humour, trying to craft the humour. How many? I mean, because comedians. I was I was watching some watching a very interesting discussion with graham linehan who wrote father ted as well as black books and various things now he's obviously at the vanguard of being cancelled for things he said about um, 
trans issues and got cancelled and his career has been wiped out. But he's still a brilliant person to listen to about writing comedy and about how often the comic bits would be rewritten and, you know, honed. That is quite... Is that something, Ali, you would do? Do you hone the comedy? Do you you go over Yeah, my little notebook that I mentioned earlier, I I pick up um, turns of phrase or a funny incident or just the way someone turned a phrase. I just think, oh, that's lovely. So I put that down. And when I'm writing, because I'm a really visual writer, so I see everything like a scene, like a film, uh, and, uh, and then I write it. So I'm describing what I'm seeing in my head. And I've discovered that not everyone does that, which is weird. No, it's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Oh, how do they do it then? But anyway, so um, these little incidents, or I go, I've got something in my notebook that matches this particular scene, and I go and have a little. But I tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak, and also finding like those unusual swear words. I, I went all oh, Shakespearean for one of the books. I think it was Verity uh, Vanishes. So I came up with these wonderful sort of Shakespearean the alternatives to swear words and and I just have fun with it so again it it's it's not easy it doesn't come straight but sometimes it does sometimes it just comes straight away but other times no I have to work on it yeah it's, it's not easy writing books you know it's not <laughs> straight that <laughs> does that does that ring true? be on your gravestone you know so do you do you, do you, do you go through the humor do you read it out to somebody do you check sense check in you know do you ask your husband or or whoever you know something you know son daughter whatever i actually think that um ali and i are like twins because <laughs> when she things that she does i do i keep my phone handy and if i hear something someone say something in a cafe or something or my my youngest son well both my sons are quite funny my youngest son's very funny he'll say something to me and then he'll walk out the room and i'll quickly type it into <laughs> notes and I think I'll find somewhere for that later and and then as you say I'll be I will often when I get to the end like I'm at the end of, of book three in the series and I'll kind of look where could that fit in and I'll go back and fit in the things but as you say I will reread it reread it several times to make sure it fits in where I've put it I don't because sometimes I'll put it in and then when I read it I think no that's really obvious I've just shoehorned that in and then I'll just have to take it out again but um I do I, I, you know, things like I walk past a person, an old lady on the phone, on a mobile phone, and she was shouting into the phone, you're going to have to shout a bit. I'm right over in the Isle of Wight. And I thought, you know, it's just, I don't know, just tiny little things. You just write it down. <laughs> and then brilliant. you think um, somehow I'll use that at some point. And it's quite nice, actually, because I can look back at my first books that I wrote and there was a, a little boy in it. And some of the funny things that he says, I can remember my son saying to me when they were quite little, because we're going back away now. Maybe 10 years ago they said it to me, and I can still remember them saying it to me. So it's quite nice that they're, they're kind of like, remind, it reminds me of them when they were little. But yeah, you have to definitely read it out loud, and you have to keep reading it. The problem is, if you keep reading it, eventually it doesn't sound funny to you know, none of it sounds funny anymore because you're so sick of reading it. <clears throat> but yet, if you read it out loud, <coughs> sorry, you can see if it is, you know, sometimes it will still make you chuckle even on the third time. Then you're like, yes, this is definitely is funny. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And Jenny, does that ring true I've in your got, process? I was just thinking I've got a, several of my friends will 
make me laugh a, a lot and they're some well, one one is a little eccentric <laughs> so i have but so i i shamelessly uh yeah will magpie away anything that anything that strikes me as as you know potentially useful but it's also it's not it's just from memory or there's particular incidents or things they might say my husband about i don't think i particularly hone the comedy i hone everything i'm obsessively like once i write something i still have to go over it and change make it as good as i can so i'll do that anyway my husband is i think he's um he's a he was a managing director and a corporate person but he's i think he has this inner comedian that he should have been a stand-up comic so he's always trying to he's trying out his humor on me all the time so i'm always hearing these terrible jokes from, from well some are very good but so, there's a lot of not so good humor from way back <laughs> so and he'll 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 it's like a very high bar so I have to it has to be incredibly funny for him to laugh at anything I say so but he does yeah I guess he he, he does find some of the stuff funny great well look, um we didn't warn you about this but Rebecca insisted that as her passing Christmas gift to you all she wanted to ask you corporately a random question <laughs> albeit with a Christmas spin Twist. I mean you know, I did say to look, let's just give it a rest. That's a gift to the audience not to do the random question. But you insisted. So here we go. Rebecca's Christmas random question. Okay. My question to all of you is, starting with Ali, as you're at the top <laughs> of our screen, what is the quirkiest Christmas present you've ever given anyone? Oh, given. That's bizarre. Um, given. Oh, crikey. Can I say what I've received? Yes, yeah, you can say what you've received. Uh, honestly, it's going to be easy. Yeah, that, yes. I received from my brother when I was about 10 years old, so he would have been about eight, a set of brass nutcrackers, wait for it, <laughs> in the shape of a pair of ladies' legs. Think about <laughs> it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, you I've still, I've still got them. I have still got. I can go and get them and show you as proof. I have still got them. And that I didn't find. I I thought, what's this? My dad couldn't stop laughing because he obviously got the joke um, and mentioned something about fetching a walnut as soon as I'd unwrapped them. You've got to get me a walnut. This is hilarious. And I I'm just thinking, well, what has he done that for? But I, I've always kept them. And then of course, when I got a little older, I suddenly realised. Why everyone else was laughing? Yeah, that's brilliant because it's actually quite a useful thing to have. I know they're not nice. useful, but they're a bit <laughs> inappropriate. But there you go. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Jenny, I've, uh, oh, my mind's gone completely blank. Um, so I've given my I tend to give my husband very boring presents, and <laughs> like they tend to be jumpers or socks, not socks, but sometimes underwear. <laughs> <laughs> um, these are all very useful things uh, so. <laughs> uh, oh yeah I did give him he's a car fanatic and so I gave, I did give him a, a humorous a humorous sweatshirt and it just said like it's like my other my what was it that uh, I'm in my office and it has a picture of a Porsche on the front 
but it, that, <laughs> I can't think of anything very quirky. Okay, and Sue? Well, I've, I've been thinking <laughs> and I'm going to slightly tweak the question, um, which is to tell you about our secret Santa at work, where yeah. we have got to spend five pounds on the person whose name we pull out the hat. And one of my colleagues has connections with a farm and was saying that he could get live chickens for, for 50p. We were talking about, that's interesting how live chickens are 50p and dead chickens are considerably more. And he was saying, whoever I pull out the hat, I'm going to get them 10 live chickens. And I said, oh, God, please, God, I hope he doesn't pull my name out of the hat because I'm really got a bit of a thing about birds. I don't like them very much. I don't, and we were just joking about how we would just arrive in the staff room for the Secret Santa and there would just be these 10 chickens running around and we'd be like, who's are these? So that's probably about the quirkiest <laughs> gift I can think of, I'm afraid. You know what? If I could buy a chicken for 50p, that's actually a good idea. <laughs> well, like, you, you need to buy like the whole the coop and everything to go oh, yeah, with yeah. it, I guess. So, you know, it would end up being far more expensive but um oh, just imagine yeah. someone goes so if you buy the dead chickens if you get if someone goes around strangling them all that's <laughs> it's just I, I don't know i don't know you could get chickens for 50p but you know apparently well, you cheap doesn't it well i mean it you've does, got to think yeah. yeah but if you think about the unit cost of a chicken bought in a supermarket as we've you know been doing recently what do you mean unit co- oh each chicken yeah they're not right, that expensive you found 75 for small chicken yeah, so rows. Got, I know, that's you know, yesterday. a chicken's got to be fairly cheap well yeah i mean you buy me bizarre presents oh, I, 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 yeah i buy lots of bizarre presents but the most bizarre one i've ever received was my brother so it must be a brother thing and it wasn't that long ago either it's when i was working um so i was in my mid-20s and he posted it as well and it must have cost him a fortune it was an enormous rubber eraser an enormous eraser Ooh. That was pretty heavy then, I would imagine, to post. It was really heavy. And so I opened it on Christmas Day. I thought, why? And so I just took it to work and put it in the stationery cupboard and left it there. And then I overheard somebody saying, why is there a big rubber in here? I think the the the, the most, well, the, let's put it this way. The present I bought that I thought was ironic and funny that went down like a lead balloon oh, no, no. Uh, was... <laughs> um, uh, a, a young lady I was seeing at university and I bought her do you remember the adverts that used to run late at night uh, on ITV for Thighmaster do you remember yes. right so right. squeeze 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 your way to a tighter whatever and better legs <laughs> anyway I bought one of those because we were obsessed with just how ludicrous the device was so I bought one and bought it for Jill and um, she never she never she forgave me you. well yeah, to be fair, our relationship soured from there on. Yeah. Um, well, you were you were suggesting that she had large thighs, Adrian, which maybe well, she wasn't. I mean, she wasn't petite. Um, <laughs> I mean, she was six foot two for a start. So I mean, <laughs> but um, so Jill, uh, if you're listening, she has to lift you up to kiss you. Well. <laughs> I mean, I need to step that up for all sorts of things, but we're not going there. <laughs> this is a family show. But anyway, the thigh master did not work out as uh, as, as intended. Um, and everyone, it was one of those things where everyone corporately was outraged for her as well. So no one, at all, I thought all my mates would see the, the funny side, but none of them did. Uh, they, they, uh, they jumped in on it. So, uh, yeah, 
Um, that's a that's a low point in my life. Yeah, as indeed no, this po- no this podcast has been a highlight. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> um, we we really are extremely grateful that you'd spare the time for us to make this Christmas special, talking about you know crime books, murder, and humour. And I think we've covered quite a lot of yeah, really interesting really angles. Interesting. Yeah, so so Keep being funny, don't stop being funny. <laughs> so <Impossible>. Ali Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny Ensor and Sue Shepherd, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Our great thanks to Alison, to Jenny, and to Sue for sparing us the time to share their thoughts on humour and Christmas, uh, not Christmas, um, and crime. Well, <laughs> well, we did touch upon Christmas. So we did. a little bit of sparkle at we the did. end. We so. did. We did. Yeah. No, no. It's in, and. We're enormously grateful. And this is something that we're uh, going to um, do in the future, I think, bring together Hobeck authors and share thoughts. But uh, we have another episode next week to look forward to where we're going to talk about police procedurals. Yes, so that's, that's a little bit more serious than this week's um, panel discussion. but Yeah, none the way. It's a great way to start the new year because police procedurals are an evergreen um, genre. Totally. And we will hear from Brian Price, from Harry Fisher... And Rachel, um, <clears throat> Rachel Sargent as well, talking about police procedurals. And uh, that's really uh, one to look forward to. So um, we'll hope you join us then. But uh, between now and then, you'll have your birthday. Yes, I'll be a year older by this time tomorrow. Absolutely. I hope to go and see my folks Christmas Day very briefly so I can get back for birthday stroke Christmas celebrations here. Well, I'll be slaving in the kitchen while you're up there. <laughs> that was part of the reason I'm going to, you know, tempt fate on the uh, the M6. I know, and go but north. The, the responsibility of feeding uh, all of us um, yeah, I know. weighs pretty, heavily. It weighs heavily, and we've got a guest, um, one of your son Josh's friends, Ben, joining us um, because he'll be all alone know, for Christmas. Yes, otherwise, through circumstance, yeah, he was going to be on his own. So um, that's no way. That's... Just, so don't be silly. Come on, no, <laughs> come over here. That's not going to happen, but. Um, you know, and the good thing is that boxes of crackers tend to come in even numbers. So, yeah, that does 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 work, doesn't it? <laughs> so, uh, well, from uh, myself, Adrian Hobart. Oh, and myself, Rebecca Collins. <laughs> We'd like to wish you a wonderful, happy Christmas, and uh, looking forward to New Year, where you can join us for our special panel. But uh, from this special edition of the Hopcast Book Show, we'd like to thank you and wish you a wonderful and creative and sparkly Christmas. Bye. bye.